Okay, so I want to introduce today's speaker. You guys probably, most of you know her. She's our uh, community pastor. So would you please welcome Sarah Firsty. Yay. We took a team to India, as some of you know, to work with an organization called ASHA, which works in the slums of New Delhi. Five of us went, and a few of us went a few days early so that we could be a part of ASHA's 30th anniversary celebration. It was this great time with 400 people, uh, some who are living in the slums and affected by Asha's work, some people who are volunteers, some who are staff, and supporters from all over the world. And we heard people share, and we heard people sing, and it was just a wonderful time, and I got to wear a sari for the first time. It was quite fun. But anyway, we wanted to give you a little glimpse of what goes on during our trips. So we've put together this a slideshow, and I wanted John to share the song that he played at the Asha 30th Celebration, which is a song that I feel like really captures the great work that Asha is doing. So let's start with a slideshow. No. This pain I wonder if I'll ever find my way I wonder if my life can really change at all And all this earth could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden spring up from this ground at all? Because you make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of the dust you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of us and all around hope is springing up from this old ground out of chaos life is being
Beautiful. That's awesome. That gives me goosebumps. I also wanted to invite up one of our team members to share about her experience. So Makiba is going to come on up. Let's welcome Makiba. She was a really fun team member to have. Yes, I do. So Makiba, let's get you a microphone. So, Makiba, why did you decide to go on this trip? Well, I mean, I went on the trip because a lot of things just came together. Like, I had the two Mondays off from work, and I heard <laughs> so much about the ASHA, and I'm a social worker, so I was really interested in the whole thing of um, Dr. Kieran and, how, and what she developed over 30 years and the organizing she had done. So I was just really curious about all that. And then, you know, some people were saying it's so transformative, and I felt like I need transformation in 2018. So <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, it all just worked out, and I said, why not? You know. Can you see why she was a fun teammate? <laughs> so what was your experience like then? Um, everyone's asked me that. And the only thing I could say, it was exhilarating and it was exhausting. Like it was at the two poles of life. You know, the thing is, is that it was exhilarating because you're seeing these children and they are just like phenomenal. They are trying to learn English and they are just living such a joyful life with so very, very little. But it was exhausting because, you know, the air quality is not the best and most of us were sick and, you know, <laughs> we was working through that. But the, the exhilarating part and the joyful part just completely outnumbered everything else that you may have been feeling physically. I mean, to see these children and what they're learning and the, the ASHA values they have adopted, they didn't really show them, but the values they adopted of empowerment and simplicity and dignity. And then to see these women that you can imagine at one point didn't feel like they have a voice, but now they can go up into authorities and say, um, I want this. I deserve this. I demand this. This is what I have a right as a human living in this place that you call, you know. So it was like just amazing to see that. And it was just, and we also saw a new slum. So it would be almost interesting if I go back to see how that has developed. Because right now they're just now starting to feel their kind of empowerment. They really just got water just recently, and now water comes weekly. So they're not really feeling their sense of maybe I can do, and I don't have to just stay in the same condition. So I really so, thought that was powerful. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And so what's your takeaway from this trip? Um, to live fearlessly. I mean, I don't know if y'all remember that part of like when, because Sarah liked those tuk-tuks. I don't know if it was a tuk-tuk he was uh, filming from. Yeah. But if you saw how somebody was actually just walking as the tuk-tuk is moving, and as like you see dogs and you see cows, I mean, they live quite fearlessly. They'll walk and be like, you're going to wait for me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're not going to hit me. Like, they just walk out and live fearlessly. And if nothing else, I take that from it. You have to live that kind of fearless life if you want to get to that next level in your life, in your personal life, in my own development, to stop living such a fearful life, just live fearlessly and go through. Because either wait. If you make, if you demand what you want, they will wait. And so I like, I took that from it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not going to argue with her. <laughs> Thank you, Makiba. It was so fun to travel with you. She's really great. She's a great woman. So for me personally, this trip to India is a big exercise in suspending judgment. And so much of it 
that I see does not make sense to my Western mindset. And so if I'm not careful, I can spend my time thinking, wow, that's not how I would do that. And I know that attitude distances me from what I'm experiencing. It's judging it, and it puts this barrier into place. And it be, I don't like that, I don't want any barrier to connection because my whole goal for going is to connect, to try to open my heart as wide as I can by getting out of my comfort zone and take in something new and connect. And you might be wondering, what the heck do you do when you go over there, though? And basically, if you boil it all down, what we do is we go over to listen to people's stories. We hear from the kids in the slums and what's going on in their life and how they can make a rehydration solution if they see a little kid with diarrhea. They're very proud of that. (laughs) And we hear the stories of the college students and what they're hoping to achieve. And how they're trying to study in this noisy slum with very little light. And what inspires them. And we hear from these wonderful, amazing women about how they're transforming their community. How, for the first time in their life, they're feeling empowered to make a change. And it's incredible. It's priceless to see firsthand that lovely transformation that's happened. And while these trips, though, are the highlight of my year, they're also, well, they're really hard. They're physically hard. They're hard on my lungs. They're hard on my stomach. They're hard on my sleep. And they're hard emotionally because it's so hard to look at poverty right there in front of you. But they're also soul-expanding because they give me a glimpse that helps me get out of a mindset and challenge what I think about what's right, what life should look like, what really brings joy and happiness. And it's so transforming to see God at work in such amazing and surprising ways. And because I can see God at work there, and it's just so cool, I thought, I'm going to be speaking about 10 days after I get back, and so I'm going to try to get a quote from one of these women that's going to make everyone cry because it's so powerful. So I came up with a list of questions for women at Jivan Nagar. Let's take a look at these lovely women. There they are. They are awesome. And they gather together, so they live in a slum called Jivan Nagar. That's where we spend a lot of our time. And they gather to eat together, to talk about what's going on in their community, what's going on in their lives, about kids going to school, about sickness. They get training. They also sing together and dance together. And they are just really awesome women. So I decided I was going to ask them, You know, there's these Asha values that you can see at work in the slum. And these values, I think we have on another slide. Dignity, empowerment, justice, nonviolence, compassion, gratitude, generosity, 
optimism, joy, and simplicity. So when we're in Delhi in the slums, we hear people refer to these values. And we not only hear them talk about it, but we can actually see it take place. So I thought, okay, so I'm going to ask these women, which one of these values has had the greatest impact on their life and why? So I asked the question, and right away this woman raises her hand. And she doesn't say anything on the list. She's blowing my plan for this. And she comes up with something that's actually a combination of all of the values working together. And she says, love. And all the other women shook their head in agreement. She's like, our love for each other. And I thought, well, that's nice. Love. That's not really what I was hoping to hear. Come on, love. No, I didn't say that out loud. And so I said, well, so what happens when you disagree? You, I know that these women, if we go back to them, are, have big differences. These women here are from upper caste, lower caste. Some are untouchables. They're from different religions. Some are Hindu, some are Muslim, some are Jains, some are Sikhs, and some are Christian. They have big differences. So I said, what do you do when you disagree? She said, we don't. And I thought, okay, now this is funky. Something funky is going on here. Uh, I'm not even sure that's healthy. Uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> but I started listening. They weren't done talking. They had a lot more to say. And I realized as they continued to talk that they weren't ignoring differences. They aren't ignoring anger or frustration with each other. Instead, they're counting the cost. They've decided their love for each other and their love for the community is worth setting aside the differences. And they're willing to set aside their desire to be right in order to stay connected because they found their lives are better for it. They found that what they have had to set aside is worth it. Because loving and being loved has changed everything for these women. Their value for love has helped them to live a judgment-free life. Theologian Dr. Greg Boyd says, You can't love and judge at the same time because it's impossible to ascribe unsurpassable worth to others when you're using others to ascribe worth to yourself. I love that term, unsurpassable worth, or incomparable merit, or unmatchable value. During this 40 days of faith, we're taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew. It's three chapters long from Matthew 5 to 7. And it contains some of the most famous teachings that Jesus is known for, like the Beatitudes, the blessed are those, those are in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, 
That's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like Jesus' greatest hits collection in the Sermon on the Mount. And in this this teaching, he presents a compelling vision of a new type of human being who's free to live without walls and alienation that get in the way of being fully alive. This week, our focus is going to be in Matthew chapter 7, the call to be free from walls and alienation by becoming judgment-free. So at the core, judgment is an opinion or decision based on thoughts, feelings, and opinions. We make hundreds of judgments every day. Before you cross the street and you, you look both ways and you make a judgment on whether or not you should put your foot in the street. But some of those judgments have negative effects in our life. Walls go up and alienation happens when discernment turns into ascribing worth, like Greg Boyd mentioned. It's wise to judge whether some activity will lead to life or not, whether it's the right thing to do, maybe, whether it would lead you to something good. But it's always dangerous to judge in a way that ascribes worth to yourself or to others based on whatever criteria we come up with. Because unsurpassable worth is already in every human being, in the image of God in us. So here's what Jesus has to say about this worth-based judgment. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And it's interesting to me that he's describing kind of this boomerang effect that happens when we judge others. That in some way, it comes back around to us. He's not just saying, don't do this, naughty, naughty. He's saying, don't do this because it will backfire on you and cause damage. And we're going to get back to this in just a moment. But first, I'd like to talk about the context in which Jesus spoke these words. The entire culture at that time was predicated on the notion that some people were acceptable and some were not. And the way that you define yourself, your identity, and your place in the world is by comparing and contrasting yourself with others. But who are we kidding that? We do that today, right? But at this time, the Jews saw themselves as inherently better or more acceptable to God than non-Jews. And once they got in that mind frame, they started referring to them as dogs. And Romans had an equally dismissive view of Jews as well. Rich people were seen as more blessed and acceptable to God than poor people. The healthy were seen as righteous, while those who were sick or disabled were judged to be sinners. Women were treated as second-class citizens or worse. 
So Jesus, in these words, is warning about excluding anyone or seeing ourselves as inherently better than any other. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I have a better way to live. And it's free from this kind of judging and condemning and excluding. It's a way that recognizes value and dignity in every human being. Even the people we disagree with most. And this lovely, judgment-free kind of life was captured in these women at Jivan Nagar. They embraced that value and their life has, has blossomed and expanded in ways they never thought possible. We give and we receive judgment on a regular basis. And it affects us deeply. So what if over the coming week, we try some things in hopes of becoming judgment freer. I have six things I'd like to share with you that are things that we could possibly try in this coming week in the hope of becoming judgment freer, freer, not her. These are going to be found on the River NYC app as well as on the River website. So the first one has to do with kind of adding a new word in our vocabulary, a little catchphrase. And it's try the phrase, that's interesting. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> this is a little way to pause. And instead of going right to that's dumb, that's stupid, that's inconsiderate. That's interesting. Use this to give yourself a little time out from jumping right to judgment. Okay, now we've got a second one. Use your judginess to reflect on yourself. When I find myself in a loop of judginess and I'm thinking, why is that 12-year-old smoking or what kind of person would take the last piece of lemon cake? I stop. I make a mental note. And when I have a bit of quiet time, I reflect on the judgments I'm making and how they might mirror my own fears and insecurities. And then I talk to God about what I notice. Brené Brown says this about this. We judge people in areas where we're vulnerable to shame especially picking on folks who are doing worse than we're doing. We're hard on each other because we're using each other as a launching pad out of our own perceived deficiency. So if you find yourself in a judgy place, pause when you have time to reflect. Look inside and ask God to show you what's going on. Okay, here's another tip. Three out of six. Learn about others by listening to their story. If you're feeling judgmental, it can really help to dig a little deeper and learn more about a person's story or a set of beliefs or whatever it is you're feeling judgy about. This can mean taking time to chat with someone 
Or if you don't, you're not able to chat with them, they're off somewhere else, you could do some research on the internet. Let's be a community whose members are known for saying, I don't understand this, but I want to hear your story. And instead of saying that doesn't make sense or that's weird, we say, that's interesting. Tell me more. I see God and the world more clearly through your story. Even today, you're sitting near someone whose story could expand your soul. Take advantage of it. Talk to someone after the service. Go to a life group this week. That's where stories are told. Do something to hear someone's story, and your world will expand. Fourth, pay attention to your thoughts while on social media. I really don't like Facebook. I am judging Facebook, I guess. I don't like it. Because I have people that I know and love all over the world that I hold in my heart with such love and affection until I read their Facebook post. (laughs) And I've realized that in order to keep loving, I have to unfollow. Do you know there's a snooze from following someone option? You can snooze from following someone for 30 days on Facebook. Maybe that would be a great practice. If you're noticing looking at a Facebook feed turns on the judgment thing in you, that could be a great thing to do. Fifth, if you notice you're feeling judgy, ask God for help and remember, just like me, God will help us remember people's humanity that they love their family just like you do. That they want to be happy and free from harm just like you do. That they make mistakes just like you do. And that God loves them just like he loves you. So ask for God's help and remember, just like me. Then the last tip is a little bit different. Break off judgments made against you. Becoming judgment-free isn't just about us judging less. It's also about how we deal with negative judgments made towards us. We've all been there. A comment that lingers in your mind. And when you think back on it, you flinch. Maybe it was said with a sweet tone and a smile, but when you look back, it feels icky. And if you've had that experience, I want to lead you through a spiritual exercise so that you will be flinch-free going forward. I'm going to explain how you do it, and then I'm going to lead us through it. It's really pretty basic. And it starts with, surprise, surprise, recognizing a time when we've felt judged. And maybe you don't remember the words that were actually spoken to you, 
But when you think about a person, you feel that judgment towards you. So that's where it starts. Then we forgive them. Now, it all starts with forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that we're saying that it was okay or that it was true. It's about no longer holding that person in our debt. Because we can't live freely when we are holding someone in our debt. It's only when we can release them through forgiveness that we're free to live a great life. And this is a continual process. You may think, okay, I'm going to forgive this person today. And then you go out and then later on you think of the person and you flinch again. Don't freak out. You just forgive them again. And you forgive them again until you're flinch free. That's what it, that's how you do it. And it's super important part of living judgment free. We need to not just be free of the judgment, but we do need to forgive them or else we're tied to them and we have to judge them back. Oh, you think I'm horrible? I can think of a whole lot of ways that you're horrible too. And that's how that judgment boomerangs. And we're not free from it until we forgive. Forgiveness stops the judgment boomerang. Then we let God help so that we can be free. And we do this by just asking him to Remove the effect of the judgment and bring us freedom because we're not strong enough emotionally, physically, spiritually to live under judgment. That's why Jesus is leading us to a judgment-free life. So I'd like to invite you to give it a try. If you're ready, you can do this with me now. If you want to do this later, that's fine. But I'm going to lead us through a process. And if you'd like to participate, feel free. If not, no big deal. But we're going to start by just taking a moment and relaxing. Try to just relax there in your chair. If you'd like to relax by closing your eyes, that's great. Looking out the window. Whatever it is that helps you relax. And as you relax, picture yourself in God's loving presence. Now call to mind a time you flinched in reaction to what someone said about you. And next, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you'd like, you can pray along silently. In Jesus' name, I forgive whoever the person that's come to mind. 
And if it helps you, picture your clenched fist. And as you forgive them, you're opening up that fist and releasing them to God. I forgive them. I reject that judgment. And God, I ask you to remove its power from my life. Free me from it so that I can live life in all its fullness. God, thank you that you are present with us today. That your loving kindness is moving us to more life. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.